KMTT. Today is Tuesday, this year, in Parshat HaShavua, will be given by Mrs. Yael Ziegler. This week's Parsha opens with the story of Yitro's encounter with Moshe. Um, Yitro hears... Yitro hears everything that God did to Moshe and Israel, that he came, that he brought Am Israel out of Mitzrayim. And Yitro picks up and takes Tzipporah and their two sons, Moshe and Tzipporah's two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, Vayavo Yitro choten Moshe uvenav veishto el Moshe Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe, and um, uh, comes with his sons and his wife el Moshe el Hamidbar to Moshe in the Midbar asher hu sham har helokim that he is encamped there at the mountain of God. Um, now this description of where Yitro comes to see Moshe, Asher Hu Sham Har where he is encamped there at the mountain of God, has proved to be a matter of difficulty um, from the time of the Gemara um, and you know, all the way through medieval Parshanut, the uh, a machloket, a, an argument, rages as to when exactly this meeting between Yitro and Moshe takes place. Uh, the Gemara and Zvachim, um, as well as the Mechilta, record differing opinions as to when this meeting actually took place. Uh, they basing it on the quest, on the words Vayishma Yitro, they ask the question, what was it that Yitro heard that motivated him to come see Moshe? Um, the opinion which adopts the chronological or, or assumes that the chronological order here is sustained by the text assumes that what Yitro heard that motivated him to come see Moshe was of course the story of the war with Amalek which takes place immediately before this story in Parakut Zion. However, the other opinion is that in fact what Yitro heard was Mamad Harsinai, he heard all of the events of Harsinai. And that is, in fact, what led him to come to Moshe. Um, now, this machloket is, as I noted before, sustained by medieval parshanut, um, where the Ramban, who likes to maintain the chronology of the Torah in the manner that the Torah is written, is of the opinion that this parsha is in its proper place, um, and that, in fact, Yidro comes to Moshe immediately after the war with Amalek. And, in fact, his proof for this is that when, Mo- when Yitro comes and describes what he has heard um, and what has actually, in fact, caused him to come, we're told as follows, Yitro was very, very happy about all the good things that God had done for Israel. That he had saved him from the hands of Mitzrayim. Baruch Hashem Asher Paro Asher Yad Blessed is God that He has saved you from the hands of Mitzrayim, from the hands of Paro, that He has saved the people from the hand of Mitzrayim. Um, 
and here, what it what what the Ramban says, and I think the Ramban is, uh, I think, very uh, perceptive here, is that had this parsha taken place after Matan Torah, Yitro would have made mention of that great event as well in his acknowledgement of God's greatness to Moshe. In fact, previously, also in the words of Moshe to his uh, father-in-law, what are we? What, what is it that he tells him in Pasuk Chet? Moshe tells his father-in-law, everything that God did to Paro Mitzrayim, al odot Yisrael et kol atla'ah asher mitzahatam baderech v'etzilim Hashem. All of the difficult things that happened to them on the way that God saved them from. No mention in this parsha is in fact made of the great events of Matan Torah. And for the Ramban, this is a very strong, um, uh, is a very serious omission if in fact this parsha had taken place after Harsinai to say that Yitro wouldn't have made mention of it or to have a whole parsha where Yitro is praising God and to omit the seminal event of God's revelation to the world. That's a an omission which which could not have taken place, says the Ramban. And in addition, the Ramban is uh, is it, it is uh, customary for the Ramban to really try to maintain the chronology of the Torah. He likes to adopt the position Yesh Mukdam Umeuchar BaTorah and to read the events as they are written chronologically. The Ebenezer, however, feels that this entire story takes place after Har Sinai. After Moshe built the Mishkan, uh, the Ibn Ezra doesn't have a problem with this. In Mukdam Mucharba Torah, there's no order in the Torah. There's certainly no chronological order in the Torah. There certainly is an order. And the order is not always um, is not always created on the basis of chronological principles. Rather, there are other principles that oftentimes determine the way in which the Torah is woven together. Um, and Ibn Ezra actually offers a rather compelling argument for this chapter here being out of place chronologically. Now, his very first proof, or, or certainly the first proof that, that would draw our attention, is what we mentioned previously, and that is that when Yitro comes to Moshe, he comes to Har HaElokim. Har HaElokim being undoubtedly Har Sinai. Um, and, of course, we do not find out that Moshe travels from Rifidim, where he was during the previous story, during the story of Amalek, to Har HaElokim, to Sinai, until the next parak, until Shemot, Perak Yudtet, Pasuk Bet, we're told very explicitly, Vayis'u me Rifidim, Vayavo, Midbar, Sinai, Vayachanu Midbar, Vayichen Sham Yisrael, Neged Hahar. And they traveled from Rifidim, from the place in which they had the war with Amalek, and they came to Midbar Sinai, and they encamped there in the desert, and then Yisrael encamped across from the mountain. Well, if they only really get to the mountain in Perakutet, and Yitro comes to visit Moshe at the mountain in Perakutet, so that suggests that Perakutet actually takes place after Perakutet. Now, um, uh, Ibn Ezra offers several internal proofs in the Perak, but before I get to them, uh, I just want to point out that the Ibn Ezra has another proof which I think is really very compelling, uh, and which, once again, uh, motivated the uh, the Gemara and the Mechilta as well, and that is a proof from Dvarim Perk Aleph. In Dvarim Perk Aleph, when um, Moshe is telling the historical account of the events that happened uh, in the Midbar in the very very beginning, in Pasuk Vav, um, 
he describes how Hashem sent them away from Har Sinai. Hashem Elokeinu diber elenu bechorev lemor rav lachem shevet bahar hazeh. It is too much for you to stay in this place. Keep going now to Eretz Yisrael. Go now and inherit the land. In Pasuk Tet, we're then given an account of how Moshe sets up the judicial system, a similar account to that which we have in Shmot Perak Yudchet. That is, Moshe says as follows, Va'omar le'etahi, and I said to you at the assembly more, Lo chalavadi se'etetchem. I can't. Hashem lo'kechem hirbatchem, God has made you many, and he should continue to make you many, and then skip down to Pasuk Yud Gimel, Havu lachem anashim chachamim uvnivonim v'yiduim l'shivtechem, and here he sets up the judicial system. So here we have a very similar account to the setting up of the judicial system that we have in Shmot Perkirchet, and yet here it's clear from Devarim Perak Aleph that this event takes place after they are already at Har Sinai. In fact, it seems after they have already received the Torah and God is sending them forward in order to go and conquer the land. And this seems to constitute uh, rather compelling proof that the setting up of the judicial infrastructure, an event which is described in Shemot Perket Chet, actually takes place after Matan Torah. Now, uh, this may be corroborated by um, the, looking back in Shemot Perkidchet. Once again, I am uh, mentioning some of the proofs that the Ibn Ezra brings here. If you look at Pasuk Tedzayin, when Moshe is speaking to his father-in-law and explaining to him what's going on actually um, uh, all day long, why he's so overburdened here, he says as follows. He says, Ki yelem davar When they have something, they come to me. Vishafati and I have to judge between a man and his friend. And I have to let them know the laws of God and his instructions. In other words, Moshe here is acting as a judge in which he is um, giving down the laws or giving over the laws of God and his instructions. The fact that in this parsha Moshe is giving over Chukei Elokim seems to imply that he has already received Chukei Elokim V'Torotav. And um, the Ibn Ezra um, uh, points out here that this could only have taken place after Matan Torah. Uh, Ibn Ezra has several other proofs. Um, uh, for example, he mentions here that Yitro brings Ola Uzvachim, he brings Korbanot in Perak Yudchet, and yet it never says that he builds a Mizbeach. And so the Ibn Ezra concludes that this must mean that he brought these Korbanot on the Mizbeach that Moshe brought at Sinai. At Sinai. And, oh, you want to say, and the Ibn Ezra points this out, that in fact Moshe built a Mizbeach after the war with Amalek. Well, the Ibn Ezra says that Mizbeach wasn't meant to bring Korbanot. The only Mizbeach that we have that, w- that Moshe actually brought Korbanot on was the one that he made at Har Sinai in Perak Kavdalid. And therefore, this event must have taken place after the building of that Mizbeach, which is after Matan Torah. So here we have, I think, a, um, a, a very long-standing argument, one that begins all the way back in, um, in the Midrashei uh, Halakha and in the Gemara, um, and which is sustained by medieval Parshanut, an argument which asks the question, essentially, does Perak Yudchet, does the story of Yitro 
occur where it appears, juxtaposed between the war with Amalek and the story of Mamad Harsinai, or is it actually, in fact, out of place chronologically, and in fact, it really takes place after the story of Harsinai? Um, in any case, I think, uh, assuming that the context indicates, and, and in fact, I do think that the Ibn Ezra makes a very compelling argument that the context does indicate that, in fact, the events of Yitro that are related in Perakut actually take place after Matantara, we then have to ask ourselves the very important question, the very obvious question, why the Torah chooses to record this event earlier. If this event is simply part of the chronology of the story of the events that take place from their exiting Egypt until Matantara, so then the question doesn't really have to be asked, because then we could just say that there's a chronological um, uh, factor here that determines where this parak takes place. That's very simple. However, according to the Ibn Ezra, we, we have to ask the question, why would the Torah take this parak, which takes place later, and place it here earlier than Matan Torah, um, immediately following the story of Amalek? Now, the Ibn Ezra, of course, does ask this question, and he answers the question uh, twice, both in his Perush Ha'aroch, you know the Ibn Ezra has two Perushim here in Sefer Shemot, the Perush Ha'aroch and the Perush HaKatsar, and in both of these places, the Ibn Ezra says that this Parsha is out of place in order to juxtapose the story of Amalek, who does evil to the Jews, to the story of Yitro, who does good to the Jews. I'll read for you here from the Ibn Ezra. Uh, the Ibn Ezra says, um, now I'm going to explain why the Parsha of Yitro entered into this place. Because right before um, uh, the, the text told us of the evil that Amalek had done to Israel, he's Israel. And so they then um, uh, uh, contrasted the good that Yitro did for Israel. And then the Ibn Ezra goes and explains um, uh, further the good that Yitro did for Israel by setting up their judicial infrastructure. It seems to me that the Ibn Ezra is entirely um, uh, correct here. This is a very astute observation. Not simply because we have here the story of a very evil Gentile juxtaposed next to the story of a very good Gentile, but more importantly because it seems that the text itself is trying to make this comparison or contrast between the story of Amalek and the story of Yitro. Now, what I'm going to do now is to um, read here some of the, or to point out here some of the linguistic parallels between these two stories. I understand that many people are listening to this shiur while they're in the car and they're unable to follow along with a Tanakh. I, I will um, I will say that it is certainly going to be easier to follow along with the Tanakh. I'll try to be uh, clear even for those who aren't following along with the Tanakh. But in any case, I think it's worthwhile afterwards opening the Tanakh and seeing what an astoundingly important linguistic connection there is between these two stories, so that it's very, very difficult to say that the Torah did not intend to compare these two stories. And if you look at the very beginning of the story of Amalek, almost all of the words that are used, or all of the distinctive words that are used in describing the battle of Amalek are then reused in the story of Yitro. 
So look, for example, at the following, or, or listen, for example, to the following. And Amalek came and he fought. And Moshe said to Yoshua, Choose for us men. And let them go out and fight Amalek. Machar, tomorrow, Anochi Nitzav al Rosh Hagiva. I am going to be standing on the top of the hill. Umateha Elokim Biadi. And the staff of God will be in my hands. Okay, now, uh, now I'm going to turn to the story of Yitro, and I'm going to find many of the, the specific language, the specific words that are used in the beginning of the story, I'm going to find them repeated. So we had, Vayavo Amalek Veilachem. Amalek came and he fought. In Perak Yudchet Pasukei, we have Vayavo Yitro, Yitro came, that's not so unusual. In Pasuk Zion, we see Vayishalu Ish L'Re'ehu L'Shalom, that each man asked each other um, after each other's welfare. So we have Vayavo L'Hilachem, and Vayavo, or Vayavo Vayilachem, Vayavo L'Shalom. One comes for war, and one comes for peace. Moshe says to Yoshua, Bechar Lanu Anashim, choose for us men, obviously men, in order to fight. And if you look at the end of the Yitro story in Pasuk Kafhei, Vayivchar Moshe, but here Moshe chooses Anshechel for peace purposes. Back in the story of Amalek, we're told, Maharo, I will be standing. And in the story of Yitro, we're told in Pasuk Gimel, Vayhi Macharat. And it was the next day. And when Yitro sees Moshe in Pasuk Yudalit, he says, Madua Atayoshev Ha'am Nitzav. Why are all the people standing? So all these specific um, uh, words that are used in the story of Amalek, they all repeat themselves in the next story. Vayavo ve'ilachem, bechar anashim, machar, nitzav. He came and he fought. He chose men. Tomorrow, standing. And yet, of course, each of these stories, or all the words in these stories, are used in the exact opposite manner. Let's look at some other linguistic parallels, and then let's try to explain exactly what's going on here. In Pasuk Yudbet, in the story of Amalek, in Parakid Zion, we're told, and this is a very famous description, Vide Moshe Kvedim, the hands of Moshe are heavy. But we have a very similar description, or very uh, the exact same word that is used in Parakid Chet, Pasuk Yudchet, when Yitro comes to Moshe and says, Lo tov hadavar asher this thing that you're doing, taking this, uh, this, this burden on yourself, is not a good thing. Ki chaved mimcha hadavar. This thing is too heavy for you. If you had any doubt as to the similarity, the linguistic parallel that is created here between these two these two sections, the usage of that word should immediately dispel that doubt because this is really a very strong connection. Vide Moshe Kvedim, the hands of Moshe are Kvedim. And here in the story of Yitro, Yitro says to Moshe, Kaved Mimcha Hadavar, this thing is too heavy for you. And there are several other interesting parallels. Perhaps I'll leave that for each of you to find on your own. But really there are um, a, a, a tremendous number of linguistic parallels between the two stories. And it seems clear that in fact, the 
Ibn Ezra is right. I, I'm not saying necessarily that he's right in terms of when this event took place. I imagine that the fact that this um, is such a long-standing machloket means that it's going to remain um, uh, not not capable of being resolved. Um, and yet, it seems to me that the Ibn Ezra is right about one thing, and that is that these two stories are not simply juxtaposed chronologically, even if they are, in fact, chronologically, uh, they, they do, in fact, take place chronologically, but that they are interwoven together so that the two stories are inextricably um, connected one to the other. In fact, the story of Yitro and the story of Amalek are, to some extent, mirror images of each other. In one story, we have Amalek that comes to fight with Am Yisrael and to try to eradicate Am Yisrael. And Am Yisrael rises to meet the challenge of Amalek. In fact, the story ends with a perpetual war with Amalek. Milchama Hashem ba'amalek mi dor dor. We have a, 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 an eternal war with Amalek. Whereas in the very next story, we have a righteous Gentile who comes to Am Yisrael um, in the aftermath of the events of all of the miracles of the events of Egypt and the miracles that God does for his people. And instead of coming to try to threaten Am Yisrael, to try to eradicate Am Yisrael, in fact, Yitro comes in order to offer Am Yisrael his assistance. And in fact, incredibly enough, we have here a story in which Yitro is the one who sets up Am Yisrael's entire judicial infrastructure, right? He comes from the outside and he actually contributes a great deal to the setting up of Am Yisrael um, as a viable society. And this is, I think, perhaps one of the keys to understanding, in fact, what is taking place. I think that it's important to note, first of all, that these two stories constitute the culmination of the Yitziat Mitzrayim story. If, in fact, we divide Sefer Shmot into its three constituent parts, we would say the first part is Yitziat Mitzrayim, the second part, the exodus from Egypt, the second part is Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah on Harsina, and the third part is the building of the Mishkan. Well, Yud Zayin and Yud Chet, these two stories of the battle with Amalek and the encounter with Yitro, these are the stories that appear at the end of the Exodus from Egypt section, right before the section that in which uh, we, we receive the Torah. Um, and, and I believe that, that here we have to make, I think, uh, a rather fundamental point about one of the goals of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and that is that one of the goals of Yitziat Mitzrayim is, in fact, to have uh, that Yitzhak Mitzrayim, that the exodus from Egypt should also have universal repercussions and should send a message to the world at large as to God's presence in the world, as to the omnipotence of God, the ability of God to, um, to, to change nature, to make great miracles. Um, and of course, this is already indicated in Shiratayam, in last week's parsha, in the song that Moshe and Bnei Israel sing um, after the events of Kriyat Yamsuf. And in this song, in fact, Moshe makes reference to the reactions of the Gentiles. Right? He says, "Shamu Amim Yirgazun, the nations hear and they tremble. Chil Achaz Yoshvei Plashet, a trembling seizes the inhabitants of Plashet. Az Nivhalu Alufei Edom, 
right? We hear the reaction of Edom and Moab and Knaan, right? All of the um, all of the nations, the Gentile nations that live in the land of Israel, respond to God's greatness and God's miracles here, and that is the, that is indicated in Shirat Hayam. Perhaps what we have here at the end of the section of Yetzirah Mitzrayim. In the stories of Amalek and Yitro, what we have here almost is a model of two extreme responses of the Gentiles to Am Yisrael and to Am Yisrael's message of God's presence in the world. On the one hand, we have Amalek, who are threatened by Am Yisrael, who are lo yarei Elohim, who are the antithesis of God-fearing people. I realize that that's a controversial reading of the Loyare Elohim from Devarim Perikafei, but let's leave that aside. It certainly is a viable reading that it is referring to Amalek, who is not God-fearing. So on the one hand, you have Amalek, who is not God-fearing, and therefore tries to destroy Am Yisrael and their attendant, accompanying uh, message of God's presence in the world. And therefore, we declare a perpetual war against this idea, this Amalek, this idea of the Gentile who cannot abide God's presence in the world and therefore tries to destroy God's people. On the other hand, we have Yitro. This is is far more interesting, I think. Yitro is the model of the righteous Gentile. And I I think it's very important to examine a little bit what is this model of the righteous Gentile in Tanakh. Well, the first thing I think that we have to note is that Yitro very explicitly uses the word Yadati. He says here in Pasukit Aleph, Ata Yadati ki gadol Hashem mikol ha'elokim. Now I know that God is greater than any other God. And this, of course, is a response to Yitziat Mitzrayim, which begins in Parakeh with Paro proclaiming, as soon as Moshe comes to Paro and says to Paro, let my people go, the very first thing that Paro says is, Lo yadati et Hashem. I don't know this God that you're talking about. And throughout the story of the Makot, the word Yada, the word to know, is repeated over and over as one of the goals of the Makot. One of the goals of God's miracles is to make everybody know of God's presence. And so Yitro here proclaims very unequivocally, Atayadati, now I know. Because of everything that God did for Am Yisrael, Yitro says, now I know of God's presence. I feel God's presence. I have been enriched ennobled and elevated by my encounter with God and um, and, and I, I, I appreciate that knowledge. Now, um, at this point, one could certainly ask the question, well, then why doesn't Yitro join the Jewish people? Now, in fact, Chazal say that he does convert and he does uh, decide to join the Jewish people. However, there are two problems with this. One is that at the end of this parak, we're told very explicitly, by Yelech Loel Artso, he goes to his to his land. The other problem is that in Bemidbar Perak Yud, in the 10th chapter in Sefer Bemidbar, we have this very interesting exchange between Moshe and Chovav, who is Moshe's father-in-law, who many claim is another name for Yitro, um, in which Moshe says to Yitro, Come with us to Eretz Yisrael. We'll, we'll, we'll make it good for you. Because God said only good things to Yisrael, and we want you to share in this good. And Yitro says, 
I won't go. Ki im el moladti I will go back to my land. I will go back to my birthplace. In fact, he makes the opposite move of Avraham. His land and his birthplace, that's what Avraham leaves. And Yitro wants to go back to his land and his birthplace. I was reading from Bemidbar, Perak Yud, Pasuk Lamed. Um, now, Yitro says, I-, I want to remain a Gentile. And yet... I acknowledge God's presence. I acknowledge God's supremacy. And what results, or what is the definition of our, our relationship with the righteous Gentile who chooses to remain a Gentile, leaving aside the question of Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach and the Halachi question here, I think one thing is very clear. And that, that is that in the Tanakh, there aren't one-way relationships. All relationships have reciprocity, starting with the relationship between man and God, but including any real viable relationships. I would say that this is true in general about viable relationships. And so our role towards the righteous Gentiles is to convey the idea of God's presence in the world, to convey the idea so that they can be able to say, Yadati. That is what we contribute universally. That's what we contribute to mankind. And that is our role vis-a-vis mankind. By the same token, we are told, and we seem to be, it's what seems to be indicated, is that we take from the Gentiles, the righteous Gentiles, also something very important. And that is something that they can contribute to our society from their worldly knowledge, such as here in the story of Yitro, when Yitro actually sets up our judicial infrastructure. Now, I would say that there are two important nafkaminas or two important um, uh, ramifications of this story, of viewing this model of the Amalek Yitro juxtaposition and seeing it as a model for the, the good Gentile and the bad Gentile in the Tanakh. One is that I think that it means that the Tanakh is telling us to very carefully distinguish. Um, now, at this point, I think, is already made by the Ibn Ezra. And yet I would say that um, we see this in, in two places in terms of Yitro's own descendants. One is in the story, which is the Haftorah for last week's Parsha, and that is the story of the battle between Sisra, who is the general of Yavin Melech Hatzor, this is in Shoftim Perak Dalid, and Am Yisrael, who is led by Devorah and Barak, a story in which we are told that Hever Hakeni, who is of the children of the descendants of Chovav Chotein Moshe, of the person who we identify as Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe. His wife, Yael, she saves us from Sisra by driving a tent pin into Sisra's head. And here we have this story in which, once again, there's this strong relationship between Am Yisrael and the descendants of Yitro. Um, Therefore, I think, in this story as well, what is indicated is that there is a distinction between Sisra, the bad guy, 
And Chemer Hakini, who, while he is not described here as part of the Jewish people, is considered to be a friend of the Jewish people. Certainly his wife here functions as a, fr- a friend of the Jewish people. The other place, however, where this um, distinction is made very, very evident is in the story in which Shaul is told to destroy Amalek. And this is, of course, in Shmuel Aleph, Perak Tetvav, in which Shaul goes out to fight with Amalek, and he is on the brink of beginning the war. In fact, in Pasuk Hay, we're told, this is Shmuel Aleph, Perak Tetvav, Vayavo Shaul Ad Ir Amalek, Vayarev Banachal, he's about to begin the war, and then he pauses for a moment, Vayomer Shaul El HaKeni, and Shaul says to the Keni, the Keni are the descendants of Yitro, Lechu Suru Redu Mitoch Amaleki, Pen Osifcha Imo, turn away, leave the Amalek, lest I will kill you with him. Vata Sita Chesed Im Kol Bnei Yisrael Balotam Mitzrayim. And you did chesed with Am Yisrael when they left Mitzrayim. Vayasar keni mitoch Amalek. And so the keni left Amalek. And so here again we have a story which seems to play on our juxtaposition of the, the, the war with Amalek to the story of Yitro coming to Am Yisrael and acknowledging God's presence and setting up Am Yisrael's judicial system. Um, we have this story once again, almost a microcosm of the story in the story in which Shaul is told to destroy Amalek. And here, Shaul distinguishes very carefully between the Keni, those people who are living in an intertwined fashion with Amalek, but who should be distinguished from them and taken out so that they are not destroyed along with Amalek. And he separates between them, thereby once again confirming or reaffirming this idea idea that in our Parsha, the model of good Gentile versus bad Gentile is a model that reverberates throughout Tanakh, and one that today as well, I think that there is a Musar Haskel, there is a lesson to be learned from this idea today as well, in which, once again, we don't lump everybody together, there is an attempt to distinguish between those who are we look upon favorably because they um, are, are willing to acknowledge and to learn from us of God. God's presence in the world, and those who would declare a perpetual war with us because we represent God, and therefore we are required to also uh, eradicate them and the idea of them from the world. Um, There are many other repercussions repercussions to this idea throughout Tanakh. I didn't even begin to speak about Rachav and how Rachav relates to Yitro, but perhaps we'll have to leave that for another shir. Shabbat Shalom.